the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Take a look at just what we've seen so far in human history. Satan envied God's power and position. Satan wanted to be God. Adam and Eve envied God because they believed, it was a lie, but they believed that God was withholding something that they were entitled to. Cain envies Abel. He envies Abel's spirituality, he envies Abel's offering, he envies Abel's relationship with God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching through the book of Genesis, he'll be challenging us to repent of any envy we may be harboring in our lives. Envy is one of the most dangerous sins. Envy was the cause of the very first sin that was committed. Satan envied God, and this envy led him to try and overthrow God so that he could rule over heaven. Envy was the cause of Cain murdering Abel. The sin of envy doesn't just remain as a feeling of ill intent, but it often leads to covetousness, theft, slander, and even murder. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, Envy Kills. Well, we're here in Genesis chapter 4. If you haven't already turned there in your Bibles, last week we looked at the offerings of Cain and Abel. We talked about why it is that Abel's offering was accepted by God and Cain's offering was rejected. Uh, Basically because Abel came to approach God, God's prescribed way. He brought a blood offering. Abel brought a substitutionary sacrifice by faith and he approached God the way God had prescribed. Not so with Cain. Cain came his own way. He resorted to the work of his hands and the sweat of his brow. He brought a grain offering, an offering of the harvest, which was nice, but it wasn't God's prescribed way. And Cain is a symbol of work's approach, man's approach to work his way or her way to God. And Abel's approach is symbolic of the blood sacrifice, the atonement that ultimately was fulfilled in Christ. And as a result, God looked upon Abel and his offering with favor, and he did not look with favor upon Cain and his offering. But it's interesting to note in the language of Genesis 4, and we're going to read it again, that God actually evaluates not only how they worshipped, but he evaluates who they were as worshippers. 
That is to say that he looks into their hearts and he examines them as men, as individuals, and he looks at the attitude of their heart, and there's actually something that then contributes, because of where Cain was, to him committing the first murder in human history. And God evaluates this as well. So we're going to talk about this this morning as we take a look into this passage of Scripture here in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to back up just a little bit and read from verse 4 down through verse 16. So take a look, starting at verse 4. It says, But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. You see how the language here infers that as a man and, as a, and what he brought, God was looking at both. Verse 5, But on Cain as a man and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Which, by the way, is implying that he knew the right way, but he didn't do the right thing. And then the Lord goes on, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now again, it's not that God didn't know, but he's calling Cain to account. And Cain doesn't pass the test. He says, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And by the way, there's no indication from Scripture what that mark was, but there was something distinguishing about Cain so that it was God's protection upon him so no one would come and, um, and take his life. Verse 16, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, where is Nod? Well, it's just past Lincoln and Blinken. That's where we know Nod is. It's, it's the place that you go about 15 minutes into my teaching. I see some of you. You go to that place, don't you? Uh, Notice, if you will, just a quick commentary on the next verse. Verse 17, Cain lay with his wife. I get this question all the time. Where did Cain get his wife? By the way, if you'll jump ahead to chapter 5 in answering that question, chapter 5 of Genesis, look at verse 4. It says, after Seth was born, that's the third son named to Adam and Eve, Adam lived another 800 years and had other sons, plural, and daughters, plural. So where did Cain get his wife? Uh, Dr. Henry Morris, he's a brilliant, he wrote a brilliant commentary in the first 15 chapters of Genesis. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. He was the the, uh, department chair of civil engineering at Virginia Tech. He actually mathematically calculated how many people would have been on the planet at the time that Cain may have taken a wife. Interesting mathematical calculations. This is what he decided to do. He took, on average, let's just say that each family had six children. And you look at the longevity of the human race in the early years. Adam lived to be 930. 
And so uh, Dr. Morris said, let's take a single generation of 90 years, 90. That would be from the time that a baby is born till it grows, marries, and has a child itself, 90 years. And that if each person lived on average five generations or 450 years, which is being conservative because, again, people lived 600, 800, 900 years in the early days, that if you took, on average, six, six children per family, 90 years as a generation, five generations a person lived, by the time Adam died, there would have been, mathematically, 250,000 people on the planet. If you just look at half of Adam's life, it means that by the time, perhaps, Cain was of marrying age, there may have been around 100,000 people on the planet. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say It does mean, however, that one of the sons of Adam had to have had relations with a sister in order for the population to to take off exponentially. Now, that seems so odd to us and for good reason, but you have to remember in, in two ways. First of all, biologically, the gene pool was very pure for the first humans. Uh, There was no problem with uh, recessive or dominant genes. There was no real issue with mutant genes in the early gene pool of human history. Obviously, later, it becomes codified in the Mosaic Law. God outlaws it. But originally, this is to be regarded as something that was only of necessity for a limited time, and it was very innocent in in those early days. Uh, But morally, we find it reprehensible, and, and we should, because God codified it in the law as something outlawed, but at the time, again, out of necessity and out of um, innocence, uh, this was for a limited time. So it strikes us as a bit odd, uh, but that's the way the human race began. Now, that's not what I'm going to be focusing on this morning. What I really want to focus on this morning is, what is the issue? What is the heart issue that led to the first murder in human history? What was going on in Cain's heart? Why is it that God looked upon Cain as a man and his offering with disapproval? And that's really the focus of our Bible study. Here's where I'm going. Take a look at just what we've seen so far in human history. Satan envied God's power and position. Satan wanted to be God. Adam and Eve envied God because they believed It was a lie, but they believed that God was withholding something that they were entitled to. Cain envies Abel. He envies Abel's spirituality. He envies Abel's offering. He envies Abel's relationship with God. That is really the heart of the issue. That's going to be the focus of our Bible study. I've entitled this teaching, Envy Kills. Envy Kills. Let's have a word of prayer. I'm sure that you, like I, have uh, noticed recently the amount of attention that the news is giving to the whole Occupy Wall Street, Occupy Oakland, Occupy wherever uh, people are setting up tents these days and protesting. And I want to reference this really not to make a political commentary, but to, to draw an illustration for the topic at hand, because I saw something the other day on the news last week that was, I just have to say, when I saw this clip of what was happening at, the, at Wall Street Occupy protest, I mean, it, when I was watching TV, it was captivatingly idiotic, I just have to tell you. I'm standing there fixated on the television. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. 
It was, it was ridiculous. I hadn't seen anything quite as ridiculously funny since I watched Princess Bride years ago. <laughs> and this is what was happening. There was a protester with a bullhorn, and he was whipping the other protesters up in a chant. And he started by saying, what do we want? And their response was, we're not sure. <laughs> That's what they said. And then he replied, and when do we want it? And they said, now. <laughs> I mean, is that not the most ridiculous thing you ever would hear? And I sat there captivated at the television going, I didn't hear what I just heard. That there's actually people who are saying, we don't know what we want and we want it now. <laughs> now, some of you might think that, okay, we respect differences of, of opinions. Some might say, well, it's a noble cause. They're protesting corporate greed and the inequalities in society. Okay, that aside, whether that's true or not, that aside, there seems to me to be one issue that is becoming more evident the louder they protest, and it is the issue of envy. It is the issue of envy. Listen. Envy is not simply wanting what someone else has. Envy is not wanting them to have it. That's the real definition of envy. Envy is not simply wanting what someone else has. That might be jealousy. But envy goes a step further. It doesn't want someone else to have what they have. That is what envy is all about. It's different from jealousy. Envy is an evil, malicious resentment of who someone is or what someone has, and there is a wish of ill will towards that person. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Let's say that I'm back in school, and I'm struggling, to always making C's, but there's some other guy in the class who makes A's. And I always say to myself, that guy always makes A's, and I always struggle with C's. But I don't stop to ask myself, what can I do to better myself so that I might make A's like that guy does? Instead, what I actually begin to think is, I would rather that everybody just simply made C's like me, or that in fact all of us fail, than for that guy to make A's. That's envy. There is a wanting, but also not for yourself simply, but also a wanting them not to have it. There's this malicious ill will behind it. It's the wish of malice towards someone. It is deeply resenting who they are or what they have. And this is the issue that actually led to the first murder in human history. And I think it's important for us to understand because envy is discussed many times throughout the Bible... And I'm going to look at just five particular points in relation to the topic of envy this morning. And here's the first one for you note takers. Envy is sin. It is sin. Jesus calls it evil in Mark's gospel, chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 21 to 23. These are the words of Jesus speaking. Mark 7, 21. Jesus says, For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Next verse, Jesus says, all these evils, plural, come from inside and make a man unclean. 
So among the list there that Jesus gives us, envy is included, and he says these are evils. James, in his epistle, echoes the same sentiments of our Lord in James 3, verse 16. This is what he said. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's what he said. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. There's something about envy that is a magnet for evil. Because itself, it is sin. Jesus called it evil. James calls it evil. Paul, when he's inspired by the Spirit to write in Galatians chapter 5, a short list of some of the things that identify the sinful nature, he includes envy in that list. I'll read to you from Genesis 5, verses 19 through 21. He said, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, there's the word separate, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So make no mistake about it. We might think, oh, everybody kind of envies. Envy's no big deal, you know. Hey, it is a big deal because Jesus calls it evil. James calls it evil. Paul lists it as part of the sinful nature. Envy is sin. Number two, envy is personally destructive. It's personally destructive. Keep a a pen or pencil handy there in Genesis or your bulletin and go to the book of Proverbs, if you would, please, almost right in the middle of your Bibles, the book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Look at this verse with me, Proverbs 14 and verse 30. Sometimes, just in the interest of time, I'll quote a verse. Sometimes I'll ask you to actually find it. Because every once in a while, it's good for you to just be able to underline stuff in your Bibles. And this is a good one to be reminded about. It's Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30. This is what it says. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. In other words, there is a physical... um, There's a physical detriment that occurs when we harbor envy in in our hearts. You've heard that expression, someone was green with envy. Well, we use, you know, we talk about somebody look green when they're sick. You know, if somebody's nauseous and they don't feel good, you know, they're seasick, you say, man, you look green. Well, the idea of being green with envy is that same connotation. You can become sick with envy. It can actually affect you physically. When you become fixated on who someone else is or what someone else has and you wish you were that person or you had what that person has and you wish they didn't, it actually has a detrimental effect on us physically. It eats us alive, not only to say emotionally and spiritually. So it's this idea of envy actually has a personally destructive effect If we harbor it in our lives, it rots the bones. Number three, envy is disrespectful. It's disrespectful of others when we envy them because it comes out with malice often. And let me illustrate this with you from the Bible. Go to Numbers chapter 12. This is also a good story that you should turn to and look at with me. It's in Numbers chapter 12 and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers right there near the beginning of your Bibles. And as you're finding Numbers 12, let me just set the stage for you. Uh, This is a story about Miriam and Aaron. 
the sister and brother of Moses, and they are taking issue with Moses' leadership and Moses' relationship that he has with God. They're envious of him, and so they're going to confront him. And here in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Now, by the way, the verb there to talk against is in the feminine Hebrew, which indicates to us that really Miriam, the sister, is the instigator because we're going to see in the end she's the one who really gets punished, not really so much Aaron. But, so, but she brings Aaron, her brother, into this. It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And then verse 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, I always chuckle when I read this because the Bible indicates to us that Moses was the one inspired by the Spirit to write the first five books of the Bible. So the most humble guy on the planet had to write this here in verse 3. But I can imagine he's dialoguing with God like, Lord, do I really have to write this? I mean, you know, if I write it, I'm not, write it, Moses. Do I have to write it, Mo? And he probably said, could I put it just at least in parentheses? All right, put it at least in parentheses. So it's a parenthetical verse there in verse 3. But notice here, what's the issue? They make it sound like it's because they don't like the woman that Moses has married. They say, you've married a Cushite woman. Now, Cushite is an Ethiopian. You know what's happening here? It's prejudiced because Moses has married a black woman. It shows the root of prejudice right here. God has no problem with skin color. Okay? Make it clear. But Miriam and Aaron make it sound like that it's an issue. The fact of the matter is it's a smokescreen. It's a smokescreen for what's going on in their own wicked hearts. The, the real issue at hand is they envy Moses' leadership and Moses' relationship with God. They're just using the Cushite wife thing as a smokescreen. That's not the real issue. And what they're going around saying is, hey, is Moses the only guy who can hear from God? We kind of can hear from God too, you know? All of us can hear from God. Who do you think you are, Moses? You think you're the only one who can hear from God. And it says, and the Lord heard this. And so look what happens. Verse 4, at once the Lord said to Moses, Arian, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. You know, I don't have to read further to know this is not a good thing. When God calls you to the principal's office, it's not going to be a good thing. And so the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, this is God speaking, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And you might think, they're off scot-free. No, they're not. Not exactly. Verse 10, when the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous, like snow. Aaron turned toward her and and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, do not hold against us this sin. He identifies it as sin. We have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with, with its flesh half eaten away. All right, that's a little too much information, but we get the idea, Aaron. 
Verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. We hope that today's edition of Cornerstone Connection has been a blessing to you. The messages that you hear daily on Cornerstone Connection are produced from worship services at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. And if you're out of our local area, you can always watch our services streamed live online. We have both midweek and weekend worship services. To learn more about our service times and our other ministries, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Now, we also want to be sure to tell you how to get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching. Simply log on to our website where you'll find the complete library of Pastor Gary's messages available for download. Again, that free download is available at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Another great way to stay current with Cornerstone Chapel is to download the free Cornerstone Chapel mobile app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for more information. We wish we could share the rest of this teaching from the book of Genesis, but we've run out of time for today. Next time, Pastor Gary will continue through this insightful study right here on Cornerstone Connection. Hey, you're a wandering soul that you've got no place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.